and I would just like keep using the same one. Um, just because sometimes if you like stop the recording and start a new one, it will switch back to the default mic in here. So just keep it going. So just keep this one going if you want to like make sure, like just for editing purposes, it will make it easier. It's like right before you guys start. Just because then you can see like where you're actually starting. Oh, okay. So just do that for the purpose. This when they pick you and they tell. Okay, my name is Julio Fernandez, and I'm from the University of San Diego, and today we'll be interviewing... Um, oh, and Eden, and sorry. And I'm Eden, <laughs> from USD as well. Hi, I'm Betty Banks, I go by Betty Banks, artist. Tony Nunez. Patricia Cruz. Lucas Cruz. Roman Corrales, the butterfly man. So, starting around, just would you guys like to tell us something about yourself, your background, where you grew up? Um, okay, so I... And you um, may have to speak a little loud just because okay. I could bring this here too, honestly. She can speak louder. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can. Uh, so I go by Betty Banks. That's my artist name. I'm a great Chicana artist. Um, I, uh, I'm also a local DJ. Um, I have been volunteering with the park for many years, but uh, yeah, it's a labor of love recently. It's just really all in. And that's all about me. I have two kids. My voice. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I'm Jody Nunez. I'm one of the owners of Mandicho Collective. Um, I used to also own or be one of the owners of Golondrina, which is all on Logan Avenue. Um, just been doing art since like 2009, I think. Yeah, that's about it. I'm Patricia Cruz. I'm a local Chicano artist. I grew up here in San Diego. Um, I came to the park during the restoration of 2012, and I haven't left since. And so I, um, along with these other artists, contribute to the park in any way possible and defend the park in any way possible. Um, and I'm always honored to be a part of that. Uh, my name is Lucas Cruz. I'm the current chairman of the Chicano Park Steering Committee. I follow after my grandmother, Tomasa Camarillo, who was here during the takeover of the park, and she's been involved with the park for 52 years consistently. And she's been a part of every major struggle. So with that, you know, I'm honored to be able to carry on the work that she started and the foundation she laid for me to be able to continue doing this in the park. I'm also a board member here at the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center. Me and Patricia also co-own Aslan Libre together, which is a space on Logan Avenue. And we also have a gallery space that we opened up called Galeria Mestizaje, along with Joni here also that we own. And the whole purpose of those are to create a space for Chicanos in our community so we can have a space where we feel welcomed. Because unfortunately, a lot of the gentrification going on in the neighborhood, there's been a huge influx of people who don't really understand what Chicanismo is. They think it's a culture you can buy into. They think it's some form of commodification or a style. And it's like, you know what? It's so deeply rooted in activism that it's important for us to create these spaces. And even for documenting things like this, it's really important too. Uh, my my name is Herman Corrales. Um, 
artist's name is The Butterfly Man. I'm a local activist, a revolucionario, a father, and this is my community. I've been working for this community for over 15 years. I'm a local educator, I'm an art teacher for the various schools all around San Diego County, and just a happy father, happy to be here in the community helping. Awesome, thank you. Um, okay, next we're wondering what influenced you guys to create Chicana art? Can someone else start? <laughs> I just think it happened naturally for me. Um, it just was something that it's just like day-to-day -day life, you know, like I'm a Chicana and so it's just painting what I know and like what I've lived, that's just what it is for me. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. What influenced you to create Chicano art? Um, originally, I started playing, painting a body positive art, and um, as being just being involved in the community, it, it kind of led me that way. And I've been really honored to always play with Patricia, and it also kind of awakened the fact that you know, I. I not only have I learned a lot, but it also inspired me to create the art with not just my lifestyle, but my culture. For me, Patricia Cruz, it's important that we have representation. There's a lot of representation here in Chicano Park because it's Chicano Park, but there's a lot of spaces that lack um, Chicano, Chicano art. And so for me, it was just really important to paint faces that were brown paint faces that were indigenous and bring forth maybe even like symbols and glyphs that we have lost over time because of the conquista, because of the conversation. And so I feel like when we do that, when we represent ourselves in different spaces, regardless of what the space is, because you can paint something at home and it ends up, you know, online and it ends up being viewed by different people throughout Islam and it ends up having a different kind of impact. And so I think it's important that we express that in our art, you know, that we express um, our roots, our strength, our skin color, our ancestors. I think all of those pieces, and I think it's also a spiritual journey. Uh, Butterfly Man, for me, it's it's in our blood. It's 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 in us, like. I can't explain it, you just know, like one of the biggest things for me is, like a lot of our, our books, a lot of our history, a lot of our art was all burned, destroyed by the colonizers and conquistadores. So I feel like for us, it's our duty, whether you're Mexican or Chicana, it is your duty to bring it back because we lost it. So for me, Chicano Park is, it's beyond just the name. It's, it's, it's like I say, a temple. I've been in Christianity since I was a little kid. I felt something different and I've been searching and searching and now I'm where I'm at, because my grandma was like, mijo, don't listen to those lies. You're pure pecha, never forget. And so that stayed into my brain till this day. Like, it just, this is Aslan, you know? And it, when you have that relationship with Chicano Park, because the park is very special. It will bring people in and it takes people out naturally. And this, is, this has been always my calling, the park. And like I said, it's, it's our duty as raza to bring back what's ours, bring back our culture, bring back our colors our sound, our taste, everything. Yeah, for me, like the art that I do create, I like to try to have a message, because for me it's, it's important because we have to recognize that we have brothers and sisters in the community that do not have access to education, you know, and even though they may go to a university or they may go somewhere else, it's still not our education, our history, and it's our responsibility as Chicanos with our right to self-determination as a people to educate one another and make sure we're the ones responsible for educating our gente. We're the ones that are responsible for taking care of each other. So with that in line, I look to what the Crusade for Justice taught us, which is that art should be a tool for the masses. You know, when you look at art, it should be something that teaches, because anyone can paint a pretty picture, you know, but when you have the messaging behind it and you have a lesson behind it, it becomes more than that. It becomes a living piece, you know, and people are able to, it'll stick to somebody and it may start their journey into their activism. And I think that's where we really have to 
do as Chicanos is always make sure that we're trying to passively engage with people and meet people where they're at. So it may be a starting point, it may not be, it may be something that someone looks at, sees it, and then later on down the line it speaks to them later. But the goal is to have those seeds planted and for when they're ready. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the next question we have is, um, <clears throat> what story do you hope to tell after you created your pillar? What story do we have to tell? What story do you hope to tell? Or what story or like, do you hope is portrayed by your pillar? Yeah. Well, I don't. Go ahead. I I think that is going to speak best to it. Um, we were. We were asked to paint uh, the Chicano Park Steering Committee pillar. And so it was very much about showing what has transpired from the day of the takeover to now 53 years. But, and we can all speak on our individual pieces, but I think that maybe you can give more background. On the whole theme? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, before I get into that, I do want to list a couple other artists that helped us out. Uh, Nadia Atapia Cruz, uh, Vince Strive, and Giovanni Mex. Sela, they both helped us out. All three of them helped us out on this pillar, and it was a group effort. And you know, I'll start by saying I'm thankful for the art, all the artists that helped us out, because everybody represented a different piece of the park. You know, because the park, when you look at it, you can boil it down to whatever you want. You can boil it down to the activism. You can boil it down to the artistry. You can boil it to the spiritual pieces. But the park is all of that. You know, and with that, we wanted to make sure that was represented in the mural. So when you look at the, the pillar itself, on one side you'll see the uh, darker tones, earthy tones. That's supposed to be representative of the takeover and all the struggles that have happened in the last 53 years. A lot of people that come into the park now, they just see it for what it is and they more often than not take it for granted. They think it is just what it's been. You know, we had this park, they think the city gave it to the community, they think the city takes care of it, they think it's like any other place. But when you start going through the history, you start realizing that every single thing in that park was a struggle from the trash cans to the bathrooms to the murals to the little bit of grass that we have it's all been a struggle for us to be able to just operate this park for the community you know and with that when you look at that side of the struggles you'll see the takeover of the park you'll see the fight for clean air you know getting the junkyards out of here and we felt it was important to have those pieces told so people know that the park expanded the, the couple of acres that we have here, you know, that fight for that park ended up leading us to the bay. You know, the fight for the park went in between the junkyard struggle and fighting for the community plan that just got updated like two, year, two years ago. You know, and that's what we felt was really important to tell. And then on the opposite side, you see the vibrant colors and those are the victories. Because even though we have struggle, it's always important to take time to celebrate when we actually are able as a community to have a victory. You know, and some of the victories we have, I always tell people it sounds far-fetched, you know, like to think that a community here was able to beat the state of California, they were able to kick out a highway patrol station, they were able to get access to the bay and beat industry, they are able to remove junkyards from the community. And, you know, it's important for us to be able to tell that and celebrate that and even have some of the pieces today that many people take granted too, again, like Danza. You know, people look at Danza and they think it's just a performance. And for us to be able to have it represented from the beginning stages to where it's grown to now in that pillar, it's really important. And on the sides, we felt it was also necessary for us to bring portraits, you know, of people who may not have been well known. Because we're, we're thankful that there's people here that are still telling the history, like Josie, you know, and like Tommy. But there are so many others that aren't here today that have paved the way and that have done a lot of work that don't get mentioned as often as they should, you know, like Jose Gomez, you know, like Angie Avila like uh, Rico Bueno, and then like Huera, Isabel Sanchez, and many other, Ronnie Trujillo, you know, many others that have contributed. So we wanted to make sure that they were included, and we also had some collages incorporated too. That way people can see the park throughout the years and see the actual photos of the art, you know, because people may look at it and be like, oh no, that didn't happen. But when you see an actual picture of it, it's like, oh no, there's the evidence of it. Can you repeat the question though? Uh, so, For individual. like what story do you hope to convey or tell after okay. you created your pillar? So I'll go first. I, um, so obviously the pillar was dedicated to Chicano Park Steering Committee, which is uh, why, you know, um, 
we came together and talked about you know what portraits should be on there. So I did uh, I think six portraits, ooh eight perhaps oh nine. So I did nine portraits on the pillar, um, and one of my favorites was um, to do uh, Teresa Nani Alvarez, who is in the front of the colored side pillar, and um, we from the archive from the Tommy Camarillo archive. We pulled a picture of when they broke ground at the um, at the Chicano Park at the Bay. So you know we have Chicano Park, and then you have this other piece, you know, that they fought so hard to get access to the bay. And when they broke ground, she has this shovel, um, and I just uh, to me it was just like she, that's got to be on there, like you know, her, just her presence, and it's like she's happy, and there's like this pride, but there's also this strength in her face, and so it was just really cool to be able to like convey that. Um, with her on that pillar. So for me, like, just being able to convey and when you do portraits, it's hard, right? Because then people are like, oh, that kind of looks like, it kind of doesn't. But, and some of these people are gone now. I, I never got to meet them. I only have pictures to reference. So it feels good when the family came in and were like, oh, I know who that is or that so-and-so, that looks like him. Or, you know, for me as an artist, you know, because that, that could be difficult. Um, but I think that, what I what I really wanted to do in all of that was make make the committee proud, you know, that we're a new generation of artists who we're not the original artists in the park. And so, you know, to be able to take something like this on is huge because we're honoring all of their work as well. Um, and if you don't all have something to say for a question. I think for me it was just, question. it was good to get to see everything. So we went through the archive and saw pictures. And I think for it, for me, it was really enlightening getting to see all that and just reading um, some of the letters that were written, some of the flyers. It just, you know it happened, but it, it's sort of like Lucas said, it's kind of like a out of sight, out of mind. So you don't realize all of the steps and all of the struggles and everything. So. We got to watch some of the videos, and uh, it was just mind-blowing to see all of the things that have been other places get it so easily without any issues, but to see that like the community is the one that had to do all that, it's very humbling to get to, to know that like people, like our people are the ones that did it, you know? Like I think that's like one of the things that it just teaches you that anything is possible as long as you like have that self-determination. Um, I guess I'll say something. Um, you know what? Hearing them talk about it, and Lucas and Patricia and Joni have also things really important. Um, the community that you end up working with, all the artists that I was so blessed to work with and just learn from and be part of that pillar, it's, it, all these people that created a path for us, and then now we are honored to be able to carry it and help and teach other generations and even create art that they're all going to see. It's such a huge honor, even if it's only like 15 minutes, but it's like the best 15 minutes of your life because honestly, it's, it's a huge honor that we are, I don't know, like just to be able to follow behind far behind the footsteps of, you know, Tommy or, or, um, or any of them. It's, it's, it's like the fire keeps burning and who's going to get it next and just being a collaboration of artists to come together and work together like they did when they first occupied it. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's such a huge honor. I hope that people recognize, and especially the young, younger generation, if they get involved, it's like, you're taking on this huge responsibility of carrying on our history, drawing our history, sharing our history, and also, like I said, the relationships with other artists. Like, I've known Joni probably since I was 15. Never did I think we would be here, and I think we both feel the same way. Super honored to be part of any of it. Yeah. Can you repeat the question one more time? <laughs> yeah, what story do you hope to convey um, through your pillar? Well, pretty much what everybody said is right on point, but just the fact that we can gather a bunch of artists and work together 
like shoulder to shoulder, side by side, like there was, we're literally on top of each other, underneath each other, on the and to, the to be like one whole one, and and being that, because it's very tricky to do that, because there's a lot of people that, I want to do this, I want to do that, and we were just not driven by our ego, we're driven by our community, yes. and by our history, and for me, I'm still like, blah, 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 like what is going on, like, I can't believe I'm part of something so great, and just seeing what it is from as a child, and then just seeing it blossom. And then I'm here with my daughter, and she sees everything that we're doing. So it's like, you gotta leave something behind for the young ones to pick up and continue going, because it is a lot of hard, hard, hard work. It's not easy, it's very hard, and some people you know, got the skin for it, they'll give up. And for me, it's like I keep saying, this is our temple, and, this, and that pillar itself is just like an ofrenda. I would think to our ancestors, to yes. our gods, to everything. So just learning to work really well and showing that to others is very important. That's what I would, I would say. Thank you. Um, okay. Did you want to say anything else? No. Okay. About your comment? About other people? Do you want to? Yeah, you should. No. Well, with the, the plaza of the park, they would be on the sides. It was important for us to not only show images of the park, but also representations of more people that have passed. Because everything in the park has been a collaborative effort, and like I really appreciate what Mom was saying about how everyone came together to make one cohesive piece. Because that's the that's the story of the park. You know, it's not one person. No matter you know, unfortunately, no matter what people may tell you nowadays, that oh, I did this, I did that. It was never one person. It was always a group of people coming together, whether they agreed or not, to fight for the same thing. You know, when you look at that collage, you'll see people together that may not have agreed all the time, but they stood shoulder to shoulder when the time came to it. You know, and there's people too that have passed that have done a lot of work, and it's it's nice to see too that they get their recognition, like Octaviano Quintero Jr. You know, he's someone that was involved with the park. He was one of the chairmen of the committee, and he also was someone that started the uh, Jose Gomez Brigade. And it's beautiful now to see that you know, so many years later, we have the Youth Brigade that are taking on that mantle for that for that piece. You also have the, the Danza representation with Asleca, you know, and some of the other Danzantes, like even more recently, like Aida Flores with Capuli Mexica. And the collage was also important too, because it's really hard to do a Toronto Park Steering Committee pillar, because all of the pillars in there are part of the Toronto Park Steering Committee. You know, and that's the same issue some of the other pillars ran into. Like I know, especially with the Musica, like Mario Aguilar, he appears on like three pillars. You know, and it just shows how interconnected everything is. So for us as a committee to think, how do we tell the story of the park in our pillar is really difficult. So a collage really helps us out with that too. So you can see the involvement of, you know, the Brown Beret of San Diego that David Rico started that chapter. You know, to see the involvement of the kids throughout the years that have now grown into adults that are here to this day, you know, and it's also nice to see just the generational work that's been going on, you know, like myself, I'm here after my grandmother, and there's others here too, like Donancina uh, Sina Sanchez, like she's here after her father, you know, and she works with her mother, you know, and it's nice to see these families working still to this day, and the hope too is when people come and see their family member on that pillar, that they want to get back involved, you know, like Ronnie's family, or, or Howard's family, or anyone else, like Laura Rodriguez's family, people that have that history, and you know, for them to realize that you know we're still here, we're still working, and we still have a lot more to do. Okay. Um, what is the most important thing that you would want us to know about your organization? That's all you. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to know that that we are not a nonprofit. We are not an organization that has money. We are as grassroots as you can be. We fundraise by getting, by selling t-shirts, by selling pozole, by selling anything but our souls, man. We'll sell whatever we can to make sure that we can maintain the murals in the park, that we can have the annual Chicago Park Day commemoration that we do. And I think it's important to say that because you'll see a lot of institutions, you know, that have money, they come into the fold, whether it's like, you know, some of the Chicago Studies departments or maybe it's, even you know some of the other nonprofits that come in and they do this work and they give themselves a big pat on the back but they got a grant for that you know there's a reason why they're doing that work because there's money at play you know and for us as a committee we make sure that everything we do is for the betterment of the community you know it doesn't matter if it takes us years to get it done 
we'd rather fundraise that way so we don't have to, one, be beholden to anybody, or two, we make sure that it's done the right way and it's done in an honest way, you know, because we want people to come with the intention to help, you know, and that's why, like, with this pillar, all the committee members that come, they volunteer their time to be there to make this happen. On Toronto Park Day, you'll see upwards of, like, 50,000 people throughout the day, and people think we go home to our mansion and we just made a whole bunch of money, but we end up owing money at the end of Toronto Park Day because of all the costs that go into it, because our objective is never to make money, you know? And that's why I think it's unfortunate that you'll see things like the Chicano Music Fest or things like that, where they say it's Chicano-based, but I don't see no history being taught. I don't see no lessons. I just see people drinking and having a good time. You know, what does that do for us as a people? What does that do for any of us? So when I think about the most important thing for the committee is that we are still rooted in our Chicanismo. We are still doing the work as volunteers, and we aren't going anywhere. You know, we're still here to advocate against the city, against the state, and against Parson Rec, whatever it may be, to make sure that the goal is never forgotten of all the way to the bay, and that we continue that fight for that expansion. Any other thoughts? So, what is the most important thing that we should know about your relationship with Chicano Park? Um, well, I think for me, it's become, it, it's become, like some people show up and they do some work and then they go away, you know, and then they come back and they do some work and they go away and I feel like it's become a lifestyle. It's become like an everyday thing, you know? I mean, yeah, I'm married to Lucas, so he's the chairman, so yeah, we're like in it, you know? But aside from that, I think that even for myself, like as an artist, it is still my responsibility to make sure that the park is maintained, that the park is serving as a tool, not as a, like a propaganda background or not as a cute selfie, you know? And so um, it's still my responsibility. I can't just paint something and walk away now. Like, I'm, I'm in it, I'm here, um, I'm responsible for doing, you know, if I have to do a tour, I'll do it. If I have to paint something else, and you know, and I just wanna mention, like, a lot of the things that we've painted, you know, we, we don't get paid to do that. You know, we didn't get paid to, to paint the pillar, but yet there's this, um, enormous amount of like honor and privilege that goes into that to be chosen to do that. Um, and so, yeah, the park has become a legacy, you know? If, if we don't do anything else, I think we're all good. Like, it's all good. We don't have to end up in some fancy museum. As artists, I speak for myself, you know? Um, I always tell people, and Lucas always laughs at my quote, but I always tell people like, painting in Chicano Park is the greatest honor because I'm a Chicana artist. And when you go into different spaces like educational spaces or spaces that are talking about activism and you start to tell the story of the Chicano movement, you're gonna end up somewhere in there, you're gonna end up in the park. And so the park is the Mecca, it is the heart of our movement. And so there's no greater place to paint and that's, it's become uh, a legacy, you know? I think you pretty much hit it exactly more at that, but yeah, definitely. It's like, for me personally, it's, like I said, the park is, is alive, it's spiritual. And there's sometimes days where I'm just at home and I'm just like, I gotta be at the park. I don't know why or what, but I have to be at the park. And those certain days, oh, it's a cleanup, oh, it's something. But the park will call to you. And for me, it's my religion, it's my temple, it's Aslan. It's, it's the little bit what we fought for. So it's just, like you say, you gotta come here with no ego. Like, this is all of us. It's not when people always look at it, it's everybody's part. But you gotta respect the part and give back, you know? Because a lot of people just, like she said, they just want that image of, oh, I'm this. And that's not what we're about. We're about movimiento. We're about fighting for what's right, for what's just. And for, just like, we needed a part. Just like you said, we need this. And one of the most beautiful parks in the world, to be honest with you. Like, I don't see any other park except our sister park, which is also another very beautiful park, but it's magical here. Yeah. 
Can you repeat the question? Said, so what's the most important thing that we should know about your relationship with Chicano Park? Um, I want to say my relationship with the park is uh, my parents used to own the business down the street literally around the years it was being taken over. And growing up, we would drive by and, you know, sometimes we would come, but I always wondered as the murals went up, like, what, what is that? And not only this space, but also the Centro in the Pueblo Park. I would drive, we would drive by and I was like, what is that? Like, it caught my attention. And um, as an adult, I found out what it is. And for me, it's home, first of all. And it's like Herman said, it's not just my home, but if you really want to invest your time, and it's not about getting paid, it literally feeds your soul to be on, to be blessed, to be part of anything, even the cleanups here. And so I feel like everyone should know if if if, it's, if you drive by and it strikes your attention, stop in and see what you can do or how you can be part of it. Not just enjoy the park because it is a beautiful place to be. It is a very spiritual place to be. Um, but stop in and see how you can honestly help and carry carry it on from whatever that means. Being part of a cleanup, you know. I've always said it when I was invited to paint. When they invited me to paint. I thought, I'll clean brushes, I don't care. You know, I don't. But then they said, no, it's like, you know, put your paint to the canvas. And I'm like, really? It's such an honor. Like, I can't even, honestly, I can't talk about it without feeling some type of way. Because it is, um, honestly, it's about purpose to my life. And I know they're invested in it every day. But I can honestly tell you, like, man, when I'm not here, I literally think I should be there. What, what's the next, what's the next... What's the next thing I can do? And I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm kind of out there. People know me as a DJ. And I do talk about the stuff I've done here. But I feel that most of the time it's for me. That's Those are my blessings. And I don't need a selfie to tell anybody I'm here cleaning. Just come and find out. Because this park, if you come and give to it and give it your time, give it your love, find out the history. Another thing, this is the biggest history book I've ever seen in my life. I've learned things here that as an adult, I never knew. And now I got to teach my kids and other, I mentor kids, so, you know, I get to teach them. So it's also, I want people to all know that, like, come and find out what it's about, but don't just find out, invest your time. And, and the payout is, it feeds your soul. Being part of this project feeds your soul. You can tell me to clean the bathroom, but I'll do it with a smile. I don't mind, whatever it takes. And I feel like we all feel that way. So when I was asked, I, was shocked because I'm like, want me to sweep? Like, oh, like I don't care, which is such a huge honor. And it will, it'll, it's generations. I think what, I don't know if it was Patisa who told me what, it, it's, it is a huge labor of love. Like, if we didn't care, then it wouldn't be here. And that's one of the things that I feel our younger generations, they don't care. You know, this interview is bigger than an interview. Take the time to, you know, go out there and invest your time and read those history walls. You know, it's true. Colonizers and everything we thought we were taught in school, it's in a book. We could burn that. Try to take this down. The masses will show up to protect it. And they do. And they do, and they have. Yeah. Well, for the next question, we wanted to ask, how old is your organization? Like, if you could just run us through the, the history of it. Uh, so the Toronto Park Steering Committee formed on April 22, 1970 during the takeover of the park. We formed to be the uh, negotiators with the state of California and also the city of San Diego. At that time, nobody wanted to really handle the issue of the park because, you know, they went to the city and the city said, well, it's state property, and then the state ran back to the city. And since that point, the steering committee has served as the stewards of the park. We've had different objectives over the years, you know, to take over the park. We, were in, we also played a role in the takeover of the neighborhood house as well as Centro Cultural de la Raza. We advocated for access to the, the bay once again and through the all the way to the bay committee chaired by Ronnie Trujillo. We were able to get that access after a 17-year fight. So us as a steering committee, we're 53 years old as of April 22nd this year. Um, what does the new museum represent for you? work um, I, the museum 
like the creation of yeah, the museum? What does it mean? I don't even have it's. We have a, a Chicano museum, a Chicano park museum. Like, I'll just leave that there. Like, drop the mic straight <laughs> up. Like, we have a museum for our, our raza, our kids, you know. I'm not going to walk, no disrespect to the other museums, but I didn't connect. I, I know when I walk in here, this is, I guess I dropped the mic. We have a Chicano Park Museum. And I can't, you know, like I said, I'm lucky if I get to show up to these things, let alone, you know, I was never part of making this happen. But it, I'm grateful to those who did the fight for me and my kids to be able to enjoy it. Like, same thing, words can't put it to describe what the museum is. And for me, I think about all of our elders, all the people that have fought for this. So this is this is their trophy, basically. Or I don't know if you would say a trophy, but it's just, like I said, it's beyond that. Because they've never given us anything. We fought for every inch, every square of land here at the park and here at the museum as well. So it's just to have something that's ours. It's not no colonizer, it's not no businessman, developer, it's straight raza, sudor, y sangre, you know, that's it. I, I think it's great that we have a Chicano Park Museum and a cultural center. I think it's another space that we have occupied and it's beautiful that it's right next to the park. Um, I think that it's kind of difficult because there's institution and then there's which is which the Chicano Park Museum is and then there's grassroots which is what the Chicano Park Steering Committee is and so I think that I, I look forward to see what more is going to happen in the Chicano Park Museum what more exhibitions are going to happen in the Chicano Park Museum um, what more history and archives are going to be held here? Like all of that is so very exciting, but I don't. I you know I I hope that the I hope that it's done like it always has been, which up until this point it has, and I hope we keep it that way. Where you know the elders have fought to very much keep it how they want to do things, you know, that we don't follow into other institutions' footsteps just because you know we are being compared. Or, but I think they've done a great job at making it ours, which is I think what we're all feeling when we come into these into these walls and feel at home as well. Um, and which is you know how the way that the the pillars were the first exhibition, it's it's all community access. So I deeply appreciate that, and I want to see more of that. You know I've worked for another museum, and um, I've seen how the boards can become very uh, white, old males, you know, deciding what's gonna happen with art, what is art, what does that look like? And I'm so proud to say that our board doesn't look that way. And it hasn't been infiltrated in that way. And that they're not moving in that direction. And even the mission of the museum is a beautiful mission. And so I look forward to seeing more, more spaces for us. And this is major. For me, the museum, it, it represents that new fire. When we had the new fire ceremony, we were culminating the 52 years of the Centro Cultural de Raza, Chicano Park, and Chicano Studies. And with that, and this institution being created, it's, I think it serves as a reminder to the young ones of that spirit of self-determination. Because when we look to the Plan de Aslan, the Plan de Aslan tells us it is our responsibility to create our own institution. So rather than going to Balboa Park, where we don't feel welcome, where we don't feel it's our history, and telling them, hey, you know what, San Diego History Museum, you should really include us in, the, in that museum. You really should, we have really good history. Or going to the Museum of Art saying, hey, you know, maybe you should have a small little corner for us. Maybe we can be in there and have this. Like, not childhood, like, forget that. We'll create our own institution. We'll create our own museum. We'll create our own standards. Because Chicano art has always been at a high standard. It's just never been appreciated by the right people. You know, and it's not for them. And if it ain't for them, that's, don't come here. You know, and that's what this institution represents to me is a chance for us to build that that level, to be at that caliber in our own style. You know, and there's nothing like this. You come here and you can learn about takeovers from the voices themselves. 
you know, versus going somewhere else and getting it whitewashed and distorted. You know, when we go to school, we all hear it ourselves. You know, they start us off with, you know, the Aztecs were conquered and then here's what happened after. But they don't talk about our accomplishments before that. You know, they don't talk about our histories before that. So this is an institution that will. You know, and what's also important to me about this is the chance to archive the stories of the working class people that have fought in this community that normally wouldn't get that recognition. You know, people that were here, that held their ground in the park, people that started the Lowrider Club, people that were one of the first ones to paint on the, the, the pillars out here. You know, it's important to be able to capture those stories and people to hear it and see it so accessible. And I think that's the balancing act, like Patricia said, is making sure that not are we, only are we looking to the museum and being excited at where we're at, but also building up that next generation so they know that it's their responsibility to make sure that the museum stays there. Because we look at other institutions like the Cheech, the Cheech is cool, you know, but in reality, like we break it down to what it is, it's a rich guy with his own collection, putting it on display and getting more money to do another thing, you know, and it's all money. And for us, it's like, no, that's cool, you know, but we'd rather just struggle it out, figure it out, and build up our own institution, you know, where it teaches people. And that's where the cultural center comes in, it's so important, because we can look at the museum, and when you look at a museum or think museum, you think history, you think it's done, I'm gonna go learn about something that happened, but the movimiento has been going and going. And to those listening, you know, in your Chicano studies, professors tell you the Chicano movement was from 1970 to 1980, ask them where you've been at. You know, we've been out here. You know, and I'm thankful too, I'll give a shout out to Alberto, because he's someone that actually comes out here into the community, away from academia, away from the institution, and works with regular people. You know, people that may not be there, may people that don't know about dialectical materialism, you know, people that just are figuring it out. You know, and that's what we really need. And with this institution, it's great, because we also have a chance, you know, thanks to like Edmond also, who works within the schools, to bring in like Perkins, to bring in a monarch, to bring in Kimbrough, you know, whoever it may be, so we can start serving as an institution for kids too. So when I think of the museum, I get really excited about all of the opportunities, but I'm really even more so excited about the fact that we're in that spirit of Chicanismo, you know, and that we're, it's the same as the park, you know, we just have to keep it at that same level. Any other thoughts? So what are some of the most important struggles this organization has, has had to face over the years? I think one that's important to always mention is the uh, the Barrio Sionkes, no? Because it was a huge push to get the junkyards out of this community. And, you know, when you think about it, you think, okay, maybe a couple of junkyards. But the rate it was at, it was like you live across the street from an auto dismantler. You live next to a recycle center. And there's still evidence of that today. It's not fully out. But the amount of fighting that it took for the community to get them out and to get the community plan updated in 1979 was the first update. And since then, it's been like, a, since 2022, we finally got that update passed, but that was a whole other struggle. It's like to think that 1979, the community plan was in play that allowed for this mixed usage in this area. And this community didn't have a planning group. They had to organize one. And thank you to the people that were part of that, like Hector, like Julie, like Josie and others that were a part of that from the beginning and seen it all the way through Mark Steele. And for them to be able to lobby and push and work with industry for us to finally get a buffer zone on Main Street where we can separate industry from residential. And it's important because when you think about it, it's not just zoning, it's affected our health and our livelihoods here. You know, we have the third highest rate of asthma in the state of California and we're number one in ER visits for respiratory issues. And that's not all coincidence, it's by design. You know, this community was primarily Mexicano. Before that, it was Mexican, Black, Italian, Asian. And because of the makeup, that's where they put the freeway through. They didn't care. There wasn't no public input. They just cut right through the community and displaced thousands of residents. So the same thing with the bridge. Cut right through the heart of this community and separated us from Logan Heights, which in turn separated us from the Southeastern Planning Group. So with that separation, they're able to do whatever they wanted in this piece of land right over here in this section in Body of Logan. You know, they cut it up. They put industry. And with that, now we see the health repercussions. And especially coming out of COVID, you know, that was a respiratory disease. And look what happens, we have high mortality rates here, you know, and then who's getting the access to the vaccine, who's getting access to the healthcare services, you know, who's getting access to air filters, you know, not our Hampton, not our community. So we suffer and suffer. So when I think of major fights, I think of the, the takeover of the park, I think of the takeover of the bay, and I think of that fight to push the junkyards out because 
whether or not they were thinking it at that time, those were all environmental pushes that allowed for us to have some green space in this community. Just want to add a little bit to it, like exactly what he's talking about. Um, not too long ago, we had an aircraft carrier that burnt down a whole aircraft carrier. You know, all the chemicals, the magnesium, all that chemicals stayed in Logan, still are in Logan. So it's, it's like a war zone, if you really look at it. Like, a whole aircraft carrier burning down. You know how, how toxic that is? And the, the best they did was they offered certain residents a hotel for a couple weeks just so they wouldn't stay here and breathe all the toxicity. So it's toxic out here. Yeah. And at the end of it, didn't even want to give a sorry until they were pushed to. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, there are like, like Lucas has mentioned and like Armand has mentioned, there are times where like the, the war, the fight gets real, it's like really at the forefront. And then there's like everyday things like if our elders weren't doing the work as they did for 53 years, and if we aren't doing the work, all of this will be trampled. People will do with it whatever they want. So, you know, I just think like it's a it's an everyday fight too. You know, you, you have to be present. You have to, we have to build. And we have to build something that is, well, the elders have built it, that it's so, it's so strong, right? And now we're building in different ways, even with it, including, you know, they built this, um, this concept of like Chicano Park Museum. Like, okay, so now it's being built and it's expanding into other audiences. Not just the community here, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which is a beautiful thing to see because we're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. But I would say that, you know, there's been so many fights, but it is, it's an everyday fight because if we're not here, you know, it's going to be gone. So part of, part of, I think, living this lifestyle, part of showing up every day, part of, you know, painting every Sunday, part of bringing in the youth, all of those pieces become the front line. They become like, hey, we're here, like, you know, even something as simple like Lucas has to watch, I mean, he'll get a call, you know, at night, in the middle of the day, whenever, and those, someone will be like, hey, someone's filming in the park, okay. Then Lucas comes down, and then you know he has a conversation. Even those pieces of like, what are you using this for? You know, what are you? How are you exposing the park? Oh, we're telling the history. Okay, do you know the correct history? You know, like there are people who do. There are people who you know work at this. And so I think showing up every day and showing up in your own way, whether you're an artist, whether you know you're here at the museum, whether you're out there giving tour whether you're an activist, whatever those pieces are, like those are contributions that, you know, are important as well. Yeah, and I think just flipping that question instead of like looking at it where the most, one of the most important fights, like the most recent fight that we have and the continuous fight we have is with gentrification. You know, and that's a big issue and it's, and it's not just felt in terms of like, you know, people being displaced, but it's felt in the neighborhood of like feeling like you're not welcome in certain spots anymore. When people come and people are asking, who does this person think they are coming into our community making us feel off? And it's this, this tightrope that we're walking, even as a museum, because we are an institution that is bringing outside people, but we have a responsibility to the community here to make sure that no matter what, they feel welcome and they feel comfortable. And unfortunately, that's kind of been a challenge too, because when you hear a museum, you think of like a higher institution where it's like Babo Park, you know, and it's even been hard for us to get some of the neighborhood cats here to be able to come inside and just take a look, you know, and no charge nothing, just come in and come look. But they're like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. And that's our responsibility to make sure that we heed that. But a lot of it gets tied to gentrification and this displacement of our gente in our community and seeing everything change and become marketable. You know, it's crazy because you would think like on Logan Avenue, you would never think that it'd become this district, that, the cultural district that it is today. You know, people didn't want to come down here to the park. They say, oh, you go down there, you're going to get hurt, you're going to do this and that. And it's, and it's not even the truth of it. You know, the truth is you come here acting stupid, you're going to get treated that way. You know, but you come with respect, you'll get respect. You know, and for us, I think it's also important to note that within this fight, it's building a lot more unity amongst us and the community here because all of us know what we're here for. You know, and all of us would rather deal with each other than have to deal with some other outsider coming in and telling us this is what's going to happen. You know, 
And I just want to give thanks to you because, you know, I have to come down all the time for these these uh, video shoots or people who are, like, trying to put merchandise on the kiosko and take a picture and not understand what the kiosko is. And it's not just myself, but there's also other brothers and sisters that live within the park that are here, you know. And we always want to say, oh, houses, people, this and that. But there's people that live in this park that are from this neighborhood that are here 24-7 keeping eyes on things, you know. And they're the first ones to go up to somebody and tell them, we need to get this out of here before we get you out of here. You know, and the thing is, like, people may not like that approach, and even when we share some of the history, some people may be feeling comfortable with the way we word things, but good. You know, you shouldn't, if you don't feel comfortable, good, because that means we're keeping it authentic and we're keeping it real. Because the last thing we want is people from outside this community to come in and think that everything is just great, you know, and it's not. There's still a lot of things that haven't been taken care of. There's still a lot of retribution that is owed to this community because of the years of disrespect that we face from the city, from the state of California, and even more so, too, the police department. You know, every single day we have a community out here that's just simply walking to the store and they're getting pulled over. We had two young brothers that died in this park, and they died because of police negligence. They died because the police didn't want to get them the health care that they needed. Instead, they held everybody up and started trying to search everybody's record rather than getting these two boys help that they needed. You know, and there's these things and these stories that we gotta make sure that we don't allow to get swept under the rug because the developers, they want that swept under. Because of the people coming in trying to make money, they want it swept under. All those taco tours, all that, they want it swept under so people keep buying those tickets. You know, but they should be feeling uncomfortable when they're on that taco tour and people are staring at them because like, what are you doing here? You know, you, in reality, you're all the outsiders, you know? And I think that's our biggest fight right now is just, Maintaining the identity of the park, maintaining the fabric of this community, and making sure that like one another, we can all work together. Can I add a question about what you guys were saying in relation to the importance of passing the uh, park down through generations? Um, if you had any, any advice, what you would give to your youth in this community and any of them that listen to this podcast? like what they can do to come contribute to the park and next steps that they can take to get involved. I would say um, my, my greatest advice would be that first, first you have to find yourself, you know, find your roots, find, especially for our youth, you know, I think that, the, that our roots are the strength of, of who we are as a people. And when you find that, you'll find that it's throughout the park. And it's not just throughout the park, it's throughout the community. And then it's not just throughout this community, it's throughout our you know, uh, Chicano community and movement. And so for me, that would be my first advice is you know, be comfortable with, with the color of your skin, be comfortable with where your parents are from, be comfortable with your indigenous features, be comfortable with, you know, um, having all of that and knowing that you're, you know, you came from, from warriors and you came from revolutionaries. And I think that that's, that's my advice for our youth now. And, you know, we, we, have, we have our youth brigade and I think that when we began to bring elders in to talk about identity pieces, I think that that's the key. And I think that's the key for, for anyone who is trying to build anything, it's you have to have this component of um, identifying, you know, and not only just identity, I mean identifying for the greater cause. And so, but I, I, what I've seen is in our movement, it is really about knowing who you are. Yeah, brown is beautiful, it's gold. And like Lisa said, it's very important to your roots then how are you going to move forward if you don't know where you even come from? And that's a bridge that a lot of the, the youngsters, they don't know certain images. They call it Getzacuala Dragon. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. like little simple things, but it's, it's, it's like I say all the time. If we're not teaching our kids, the streets will teach their kids. And that's what's happening. If we're not teaching them, TV's going to teach them. A lot of our, our raza, they, they don't know a lot of our culture just because in school, they don't, what do they teach you in school that when you leave school that you carry with you? What have you learned? Like all the after school, the mechanic shops, the welding, all those classes are going out the door nowadays. I remember wood shop. So it's like, what are they teaching? They're teaching bad money. They're teaching Netflix. They're teaching all this stuff that, like, palabra, like, 
Or you got the little kids singing Bad Bunny. Let me get drunk, let me get faded and crying. I'm like, no, little kids shouldn't even be listening to that. But if you look at all the schools, because I work with the schools, I know what's up. That's the stuff that's hip. And learning about your culture, it's like, what is that? And it's like, like they don't teach what they did to us. And I had to learn everything just going back, just because nobody's gonna really teach you that. And once you really know where you come from, it's just like you're solid. Yeah, that's the key piece is like learning the history and roots. But I think about it too, and when we do tours for kids, like there'll be a tour kid, maybe not all of them care, but the one that's like listening and hears the history, you can kind of see them like start puffing their chest out a little bit. Like they start being like, oh yeah, this is my part. This is like, I know the history now. I, this is my people. This is my, my lineage. You know, and once they start getting that, then that's when you can really build a strong foundation. And I think, you know, for us, like with the youth brigade, it's, it's a key step because for us, it's really hard to, you start thinking as kids and you have kids coming in and it's important for them to just like start off with listening, you know, and being able to like kind of just participate and learn. But the most important thing is giving them that sense of self-determination because they need to be able to say what they want. You know, they need to be able to say, here's what I want to do and actually put the work in to make it happen. You know, if it's with art, do it. You know, if it's within organizing, if it's a distribution you want to do, do it. You know, because that's what really empowers these youth is for them to see their own strength. And when you look at this park, it was, it was a youth movement. You know, it was high school kids. It was kids in the first year of college. Like, it was people, all these youth coming together. And if you look at the footage of the takeovers, younger kids planting the plants. You know, and we still carry that on to this day with some of the younger kids participating in some of the murals. And it's important. So when I think of advice to the youth, it's get involved, learn, but more importantly, figure out what you want to see and do it. Like, put the steps in, put in the work. And if you have to get yourself right beforehand, do it. You know, get yourself right, whatever that means to you. If it's a spiritual tip, if it's exercise, if it's just getting your education and learning more pieces, but don't forget, like, you have a responsibility to your community and to your people. You know, and you have to be the one to make those steps, and you have to be the one to get involved. You have to be the one to lead what you want to see change, you know, because it's important. And I think, too, just one more thing, I think just with history, I think it's really important to look at not just our history of our, our roots, but even more recent histories. When we look at the, the barrios here, and you see some of the fighting that's going on between neighborhoods, you know, most of them don't know that at one point, all of those neighborhoods were all considered greater Logan Heights. It was all Logan Heights. You know, when you see the area get split, then you start seeing these sub-neighborhoods getting created. And I see it in City Heights too, like in City Heights, it was all East San Diego, and then all of a sudden you had Azalea Park, then Toronto Park, and all these little sub-neighborhoods popping up. But with that, these, these smaller little hoods created, you know, and they start fighting each other, and instead of realizing that at one point, everything was all under the same umbrella. You know, and I think it's kind of learning those that history and recognizing that, which allows you to kind of free yourself from some of that too and understanding like, no, there's more at play here than just what I have access to. You know? Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Let me interrupt your high level meeting. That's all good, you're interrupting the podcast. Or is, uh, <laughs> or is uh, my good buddy Forrest Gump would say that? I don't mean to disrupt your Black Panther party here. So kind of to like piggyback, piggyback off the last question. So as we can see, like there's lots of uh, trauma that's also involved in, in this community too. And what are ways that your pillar can provide a way towards healing? I think that the the I think that all of the images and all of the people that are on that pillar um, bring a sense of self determination. So, regardless of what traumas we have, like we come together as a people, and um, in our elders' case, you know they, they took they took over this park, and when you think about that and you think about the community as a whole, after all the things that they went through, they were tired. They were tired of being stepped on. They were tired of being pushed aside. They were tired of you know, being displaced. They were tired of uh, having, you know, and still to this day, like, those things exist, but I think that it brings hope. I think that it brings strength. 
And then I also think it has the spiritual components of how we are recovering some of our traditions that we've lost over time, including the danza and the images like Hervanza of Quetzalcoatl and you know, um, all of these pieces that come together, they give you a sense of like, we're still here. You repeat that just one more time? So, as we know in this community, we suffer from racism and trauma and things like that. And what are ways that the pillar can provide a way of healing? Well, like Patricia said, it's through our art. Like for instance, when we were working on that, on our pillar, I painted a Quetzalcoatl, and then I also painted a similar exact image at the school. So then when the kids see it at the school and then see it over here, it's like they already know what it is. And then they see it right away and they identify it. So it, in a way, it gives them comfort, not comfort, but like a, a human comfort, because it's like, we got this. Not got this, but you know what I mean? Kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like, it's trying to connect everything so they can, they can see our, our ancestors and, and our work that's going on, not just in one place, everywhere. And that's what, what we're trying to do is just heal them through our, our ancient knowledge, our, our movement, you know? Because it, it's, it's important to reach out to the community through art because some people identify themselves through art. Some people identify it through music or through dance. And I think that image heals people when they see how rich our culture is, you know? Mm, I just think um, getting to see what was able to be done with all of us working together, I think that's a good way um, to help knowing that like we're not alone and that if we get together we can accomplish so much so i think that's a, a way of helping just knowing that we're all struggling we've all had trauma but if we work together we can uh, create a beautiful thing that can last for lifetimes yeah and i think like the same thing the images of the struggle is a reminder that like despite how hard things can be through community, there can be this creation of beauty. You know, whether it's the, the art or even like danza, like just seeing the images there of danza may intrigue somebody to ask like, how do I get involved in this? Is this still going on? And for us, you know, as a living active space, you know, cultural center and then also with the park right outside, you can say, yeah, go outside. Monday through Thursday, there's a group practicing and you're more than welcome to go learn. Or even just sit there and take in that medicine. And what's really nice too, I think it was Joan, not Joni, uh, Heidi, she did a samedio and placed it at the bottom of the pillar with a piece of sage in there. And for someone to just look at that and ask, like, what is that? Like, what is that for? It opens up that doorway for them to start looking at their own spirituality. And, you know, and that's a door, once you open it, it can get heavy, especially when you start doing the digging and the work. And I think it's just nice to be able to have these little gateways for people when they look at it. And just these simple questions, they may light up. And it's up to the individual, really, to, like, take that step and to ask that question, to do the work, and once they find out, to actually go and give them, you know, and start that journey. This question might be tricky, but can you identify a song that captures your pillar? I mean, there's only one. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one, and it's... Chicano Park Samba by uh, Los Agranes Mojados. You know, that when it tells the whole takeover of the park, about from, you know, April 22nd, 1970, they took it over, and even just the, the chorus of Barrios Unidos, you know, like that messaging still goes on to this day. And every year, that Chicano Park Day commemoration, we do the flag raising, that's the song we play. Anytime there's anything happening in the park, that song goes on. Like, that's the, the pretty much the theme song for us, is that in Chucky, you know, he had that foresight and when he wrote that and everything was going on, you know, like for us to be able to still use it to this day is beautiful too. And it's nice for, like, for me personally because like Chunky and his family and our family were really close together growing up. So to be able to hear him still like singing that song, even though he's gone in the park, it's this reminder that like this is legacies of people and it's our responsibility too. But Chicano Park Samba would be the one. That wasn't a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there any last thoughts you guys want to close off with? Uh, I think for me, it's just when you see these pillars and you see everything, just remember that it's uh, 
people in the community giving their time to do it. I mean, we had a group of like seven artists that all came together and we had, what, like two weeks to do it? <laughs> you know, we had more time, but you know, us as a procrastinators, we, <laughs> we took two weeks to knock it out. Do you procrastination? Yeah, procrastination nation. Yes. But it's just keeping that in mind that like it's people, regular people that are working jobs, that were trying to find time to make sure that we can do this piece. So when you see that, know that it was regular people. You know, don't separate yourself and create that barrier that we often do in like museums where it's like, oh, this this fine artist painted this and don't touch or this and like of course don't touch them, but know that you can connect with it in a more personal level. You know, and recognize that you have that strength within yourself. And that's what this park's about. Like when you come here and you take in the pillars or you go out in the park and take in that energy, remember the spirit of Toronto Park isn't tied to a location or to a place. It's tied to you and the movement in Aslan. So wherever you are at in Aslan, you can do that work. You know, you can honor the park through your daily work, whether it's creating lunches for the community, whether you want to organize a clothes drive. You know, like the brothers and sisters in the Spring Valley, they're taking over little areas and just planting gardens, you know, planting gardens just like that. You know, it's that spirit. So when people come here to this park, I hope even hearing this, that they leave with that goal of like, I want to do something better in my neighborhood, whether it's helping one neighbor or it's helping the community, but just do it. Advocate, work together, find like-minded people and you'll be able to get things done. What well, was very, I, I know for myself, being a person who is Latino, uh, it was very, it was very inspirational and not just that, like, I feel like I learned a lot of history by just sitting down with you guys and I appreciate you guys because this is, we are documenting history on this podcast too, so I really appreciate you guys coming down here for this and taking time out of your day to do this. Yeah, totally. Like you guys said, and this is what Profe emphasizes all the time, he's like, like, you can learn so much more in this hour period than I would spend, like, five hours reading in a textbook. Not even like, five hours, like, like three months. The of semester. The like, semester, it's so. just the actual value and truth that you can learn by just a conversation goes magnitude. So, thank you. In a word. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Can we pause and